0: Good evening, everyone. Thanks for being with us tonight um, for our second night of God's Not Dead. We're just going to start with a prayer, and then we'll we'll begin. As we can place ourselves in God's presence, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, we ask that we can learn more about you tonight, learn more about your resurrection, so that we can enter into a fuller relationship with you. As we pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Near the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, so if you uh, don't know who I am, my name is Michael Griffin. Um, I work with Religious Ed down here and coordinating some events uh, for Beach Catholic. So we're really excited that we got a great turnout for this. Uh, we got rained on a few times, so hopefully, even if we feel a few drops, everyone's got to stay. We're not going anywhere. We're, uh, we are we got to stay here. Um, so if you were here for the first session, we talked about uh, the existence of God and how we can use logic and we can use research, and it just makes more sense that God does exist versus not existing, even though we can't prove it with science. So tonight we're kind of taking the next step as Catholics and we're gonna explore the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, right? The most important event that has ever occurred in human history. Because if that is true, then everything Jesus said is also true and our lives are changed forever. So I want you to imagine this quick, this quick scenario that you get a letter in the mail And in the letter, it's official documentation from like the US government. And it says, it's actually a good thing, not a bad thing. It's from the government. And it says, you are the last surviving heir of some oil conglomerate in Texas. And in five years, you will get $200 million. How does that sound? Not bad, right? What would your response to that be? Yeah, a lot of us might be, that's just not possible, right? I don't have any family in Texas. We haven't been in America that long. My, my family, my roots, I've done my family tree. It's not possible that I could be the heir to this wealth in in Texas. But let me ask you this, would you, would you still explore it? Would you still try to find out about it? Of course, because there's a weight to that claim, right? There's, there's a magnitude to that claim because if it's true, even though it doesn't seem possible, it could change your life forever. The $200 million will change your life forever. So we would explore that even though the possibility seems unlikely. And I think we can kind of compare that to the resurrection of Jesus, that a lot of times people say, you know, with what we believe as Catholics that, you know, it just can't be possible. Where's the evidence? It can't be possible that someone died and then rose from the dead. But the magnitude of the claim is much more than the $200 million. That if Jesus' resurrection is true, it's not just getting $200 million in five years. It's our eternal souls that are on the line. That we are saved if the resurrection is true. So just like we would go into research for that letter that we get from the government, we have to go. We have to learn more about the resurrection. We have to, yes, believe it with our hearts, but we also can look at some evidence from that time period where just like it makes much more sense that God exists than doesn't, it makes so much more sense when we look at just the proof that Jesus actually did rise from the dead, that we are saved and that it is that the greatest happiest joy we can have as human beings is to recognize the resurrection of Jesus and the reality of heaven in our lives. So tonight, that's what we're going to explore. The evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And let's remember the magnitude of the claim and how it changes everything if it's true. So I'm going to introduce, um, father Leo, father Hansen first, our father Hansen first, and he's going to, uh, start our discussion tonight you also have a card with you you have maybe a few cards um one card is back to back and it goes over some of the facts that we're going to talk about tonight and you can take that home we have some extra if you maybe want to take some home to your family um, as kind of a just a guide that you can bring home with you and if you may have also received an index card while we're discussing um if a question we're gonna have a q a session so if you'd like to ask a question to anyone any one of the priests about something about the resurrection something about faith something that It's just a real question that has entered your mind tonight. Please put it on the card. You don't have to write your name. And we'll come around and collect it, and we can discuss some of those questions after the priest's uh, talk. Thank you.
1: All right. So they split the topics up uh, after the last talk, and this is going to be about the the resurrection of Jesus and the proofs. And Father Leo is going to talk more about that. Father Brian is going to talk more about whether uh, Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. And uh, I was laughing to myself when he said that because I said, I think Father Brian's the middle one. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but uh, my topic is actually the most boring of all of them. And it's, uh, it's about trying to just look at Jesus's existence uh, as a whole, rather not the resurrection, but that he existed and kind of what the scholars say and and just to prove that he lived so uh, I think mine will be the most boring but it's the groundwork uh, for these two guys to to hit home runs so first off a lot of people will say what's the proof outside of the New Testament and it's important for us to realize that non-religious like academics as well as religious scholars and academics look at the New Testament as a legitimate source of understanding Jesus and, and knowing who Jesus is. So that means, what does that mean? Like we can learn about Christ from the New Testament and that people scholars, religious and non religious, use it as a source of knowing about Jesus of Nazareth. Whether they believe he's Lord, or lunatic, or liar, that's up that's up to us to decide, but that they use that and that it's not written by just one person. When we look at the New Testament, it's a collection of books that have at least eight authors, right? So we know the gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we also have James, Jude, Peter, and I'm forgetting one. If you want to yell it out, I can't. But we got to, Paul. Oh, how can I forget Paul? Thank you, and Paul. And so these are like there's at least eight authors coming from it, giving their testimony and their experience of Jesus. Um, but there also is a lot of talk outside of of uh, the New Testament that speaks of Jesus of Nazareth. And there's two places I want to direct you definitely to go look at. Uh, One of them is Dr. Gary Habermas. He has a book, The Historical Jesus, and you can find the whole book online for free. And it's really, uh, it's a good source to understand that other people outside of Christians were talking about Jesus as early as the first century. Like we were talking about really 110 AD is some of the earliest stuff we start seeing non-Christians talking about Christ. Um, But you can go and, and read that book. It's, But if you want kind of a summarized version, Jimmy Atkins of Catholic Answers has an amazing article, Did Jesus Exist? An Alternative Approach? An Alternate Approach? And I really highly recommend reading it. It's quick and it's easy. And his approach, I'm just going to summarize what he took as... Proving Jesus' existence uh, kind of in, a, in an interesting way. He, he spoke about the references to Christianity, Christianity, and he lists a few of them. Uh, Tactius, uh, Plenty the Younger, the emperor, um, one of the emperors in you know, 110 AD, and then uh, Josephus. And these are like kind of the, the main non-Christian people speaking about Christ, but... Uh, But what they talk about is how it's spread. And so there's a geographical spread of these Christians and they weren't around before the first century and the spread definitely comes from the first century. So they they can pinpoint the time before there were Christians and then after there were Christians. And and this spread is a rapid movement. They spread to all the ends of the earth. And and so if it's an it's an organized spread of an idea. And they he calls it and refers to Christianity really as an organization. And the spread is led by leaders. And who are the leaders? The first leaders are, of course, the apostles. So they are sent. And then the question is, well, if it's an organization and the leaders are spreading out and spreading the message and we can pinpoint the time and then pinpoint the spot where it comes from, we gotta ask ourselves, who was the leader? Who was the person who started the mission? Who is the the leader? Well, we would say it's Jesus of Nazareth and I like to call him the CEO of the universe, right? So he starts that spread and and they push it out with the apostles and it goes forth from there. And really what's cool is that what i would like end with is saying this is that that's so our experience is that it's a spread And we can really trace it, and we can trace it back to who we got our faith from and and where they got their faith from, and you just keep going back and back and back. And so, I was so interested, like, Jesus is 33 AD, he dies. John the Apostle dies around 100 AD, the only apostle who's not a martyr. He took Polycarp under his wing. We got Polycarp to 155 AD, and then he takes St. Irenaeus, who's 202 AD. So, we're already, like, we're already in the 200s, and we can... And trace back these four guys that that go all the way back to the original leader, to Jesus. And and the same goes for Paul, right? Because what does Paul do when he encounters the risen Lord? He goes back to go see Peter and James, who would have been the original leaders, the original apostles who who walked with Christ, who gave them that message to go forth. And, you know, it's that that learning it from where you get it from so important because you know who was the vocation director when I was a kid thinking about being a priest father Brian Barr right like so I learned a lot of the faith from him and I know his uncle was a priest and I'm sure he learned a lot from his uncle and then he could probably tell us who his uncle was influenced by right and the the trace goes back and back and back and so that approach um the spread And to think of how it's spread to all the ends of the world is so incredible and so wonderfully beautiful. So, um, yeah, I would definitely recommend that you read Jimmy Atkins' Did Jesus Exist? And you could check out Gary Habermas' book, The Historical Jesus. Uh, But it's pretty safe to say that Jesus existed, and I'm done, thank you.
2: (laughs) Well, it's kind of hard to see Everyone here. I uh, just want to say how um, awesome I think it is for us to gather on, on a Thursday night and talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, because this event, the resurrection, is so central to our lives. All our um, encounters with Jesus is with not just. The Lord, but the resurrected Lord, right? And I think over time, even though we don't, we don't mean to, uh, the resurrection, it could kind of become like a comfortable idea, you know, that we just put on the back burner and forget about until you know we get to Easter Sunday, and then there's like an explosion of joy, right? Rightfully so. But then, yeah, how often do we talk about? At the resurrection is such a central event in our lives. So, um, I want to thank you uh, for coming out tonight and and witnessing to to our resurrected Lord. I want to talk about uh, the experience of the apostles right after after the crucifixion. Right, we read in the Acts of the apostles that they were locked in the upper room for fear of the jews right they were afraid they were confused Um, right their best friend right their teacher um, just suffered a, a, a brutal humiliating death and you know they they thought he was the lord but how could god die and then something happened, something powerful happened and they underwent a transformation and they could never go back to their, to their old ways of, of being afraid. Right. And what was that event? Of course, the resurrection. If you think about it from a, a reason standpoint, right, let's just say the apostles these guys, they they came up with a ploy uh, to con people. They had a plan to become rich and famous, right? But we know uh, it's the opposite of that. Um, they didn't become they didn't become rich. And witnessing to Jesus alive, it cost them their lives. Right? They were martyred for their faith and professing, proclaiming that Jesus was alive. And they had seen him. They had eaten with him, talked with him. He, had, he appeared to them multiple times. And so they went from being afraid to going out to, to the, ends of the ends of the world, witnessing to the truth, Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And the life um, So if you think about it Let's say uh, You know This was uh, Just just a con Right But at the moment When somebody puts um, A knife To your throat And saying You know if Say that Jesus Is dead That he Didn't appear to you um, Then you would think uh, you would succumb to that and say, yeah, it was, I was just, I just, we just made it up. I just made it up. But that wasn't the case, right? right? That doesn't make sense, right? And maybe you could think out of, um, out of all the apostles, maybe one or two uh, could have done that, went to their deaths, Right? Continuing this lie But no, all of them Virtually all of them Except for uh, The Apostle John Right? They, they went to their deaths Witnessing to, to Jesus Resurrected And alive Also St. Paul Right? He tells us that If Jesus didn't rise From the dead Then all his Preaching Right? Would be For nothing It would be in vain So central was the resurrection in, in the life and ministry of St. Paul, right? It led to his own martyrdom, right? His beheading. Um, also in terms of um, evidence that we can point to, uh, in, it wasn't only the apostles, right? Select few, but First Corinthians, St. Paul tells us as many as 500, they encountered the risen Lord. And, yeah, we, we don't have any records of any of them saying that, yeah, it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't true. It's such a large number of people, right? So the word martyr, right, means witness. And, um, yeah, perhaps we could take this opportunity tonight learning more about the resurrection, the evidence of the resurrection, how the resurrection, right, it's not. Yes, we need faith, but also from a reason standpoint, we can argue for its veracity, its truth, and str- and strengthened by that that knowledge and that faith. May we yeah, become um, stronger, stronger witnesses, martyrs for the faith. Thank you.
3: Evening, everybody. About, um, I guess it was about 20, tw- at least 20 years ago, maybe maybe like closer to 25 years ago, you may remember, if you're, if you're old enough, there was um, Apple Computer had this, uh, kind of an interesting uh, advertising campaign that they did. It was primarily TV, but it was also, it was a little bit of everything. It was radio, it was uh, print as well. Um, and it uh, kind of got a lot of play at the time. Uh, it's become since sort of uh, seen as kind of like a great e- adver- example of, of advertising, like company advertising. And uh, I guess apparently, it w- well, it was called Think Different. That was the, the theme of this campaign. It was, like, it was always like Apple and then Think Different. Um, apparently, I guess at the time, IBM, their slogan was... Uh, It was just, it was think. It was just, that's what it was, like in quotes, think. So these guys, the Apple guys said, all right, let's go to respond to that. So they said, think different. Um, Anyway, uh, I remember where I was and when uh, I saw this commercial. In fact, it was the only time I think I ever saw it on, on TV, but I remember it, it was... The night, uh, and you may remember this if you're old enough, the, the final episode of Seinfeld. Uh, it was 1998, and kind of the whole world was watching. And uh, it, was, it was an air, it was sort of like almost like a Super Bowl kind of audience. So the commercials were significant. And Apple ran this commercial. And I'll never forget it. It was, uh, it, uh, it began with, uh, you didn't know it was Apple... Until right at the end It was probably about 30 seconds long And it was uh, These very sort of compelling images Black and white images of Famous people Um, Albert Einstein These are some of them that I remember Albert Einstein was one of them And so you'd see him for Three or four seconds And then it kind of went into uh, Martin Luther King was certainly another one John Lennon Thomas Edison Muhammad Ali, Gandhi, Lucille Ball, uh, Amelia Earhart, and it was uh, so you kind of like something's going on as you as you're watching this, but you don't you don't know, and it had this very kind of compelling music in the background, um, and you couldn't help it sort of be distracted by it in a good way, like you're like what what is this what's what are they advertising? Um, and then there were these kind of famous words that came on the screen. and This is what it was Here's to the crazy ones the rebels the troublemakers the ones who see things differently While some may see them as crazy We see genius Because the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do And then it said think different apple um, anyway, it was it was pretty cool. I, I remember it, and then I, you know, I didn't remember all the detail, and I Googled it, and it's you know you can you can kind of you can see see it and read about it. Well, after that came out, that aired that night. Uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two later, uh, a priest somewhere. I don't even know where this was, but he apparently he gave this homily uh, one Sunday morning, and he referenced that commercial. I thought it was a great commercial. It was kind of hard not to be inspired by it. Well, this priest did not like it at all uh, for this particular reason. He said that he just thought it was too secular. Um, all these images of these pretty objectively famous people, uh, objectively accomplished people, um, his complaint was that there was Jesus should have been there. In the midst of those people that I mentioned, one of the images should have been Jesus Christ. Uh, and he just sort of railed against you know a secular time, a secular culture, and this is what you get. Like I think his argument was probably like, 50 years prior, you would have had Jesus in that commercial if, if there had been a commercial. Anyway, so that was the article. Oh, no, no, that was the homily this guy gave. And then a couple of weeks after that, I read an article in a Catholic magazine, and it was about that priest's homily, and really that commercial. But it was really a critique of what the priest said. Um, And his point was real simple, and it's kind of mine tonight. His point was, the priest got it wrong in the homily. Like, don't equate Jesus with Muhammad Ali. Jesus was way more than Muhammad Ali. No knock against Ali... But to kind of put them in the same company or the same commercial would almost imply some degree of equality. Jesus was way more than John Lennon. I'm sorry to Beatles fans out there, but he was way more than John Lennon. He was way more than Albert Einstein. And this guy's point was if you, if you throw him into the mix, Jesus, it's a mistake, You're actually communicating something we don't want to communicate. We want to communicate sort of like the difference, the separation, the apartness between these amazing people, historical, great people who change the culture. But none of them, add them up together, they don't equal Jesus. It's like apples and oranges. You know, if they had put in the commercial a photo of, uh, I'm looking at the statue of Mother Teresa here. If Mother Teresa, an image of Mother Teresa was in the commercial, awesome. Or uh, 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 a statue of St. Francis of Assisi. These are people that did change the world. And they were inspired by Jesus. John Paul II. Saints. Saints. They were all saints, but you know what? They were also sinners. Like, she was a sinner. So was St. Francis. So was John Paul. They were saints, but they were sinners. Jesus was neither saint, certainly, nor sinner. So don't put him in anybody else's company. Um, there was a... Some of you, I'm sure, have read this book. Uh, Well, anyway, prior to the book, during World War II in England, uh, C.S. Lewis, the great theologian and writer, um, he did these series of uh, radio specials over the course of about three years, I think, during the war. And it was him just kind of giving these talks about Christ, and it was also it was kind of like a defense of Christ, um, kind of what we're trying to trying to do tonight, like the argument for Jesus, and that was Lewis's point in these radio BBC broadcasts. Anyway, I guess they were huge; they were incredibly well received. So they transcribed them, and then ultimately, like in the early fifties, they put it into a book, and it became this sort of spiritual classic. Uh, called mere Christianity worth getting a hold of would be certainly worth worth a read and it's just sort of like these chapters of like I said his his defense of Jesus Um, part of that part of that book or one of these talks he gave he gave what they call this famous kind of they call it a trilemma t-r-i like 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 a dilemma but a but a trilemma. So usually a dilemma you got a a choice between two things and very often they're both difficult. It's like, you don't know what to do. Well, this was a, a trilemma. It was three. And any one of these options is difficult or problematic. And what he called it, he basically said that, and you, it's on the back of one of these, those cards, Jesus was one of three things. He was either a liar he was a lunatic. Well, he's the Lord. He's God. Um, and it was a very, it was sort of like a, a simple way of, of, of explaining how we see God. Other, other, it's also been called mad, bad, or God. So he was either like evil, liar, or he was mad. He was crazed, thought he was God when he wasn't, or he was God. And you kind of have to pick. One of those three. Anyway, there's this pretty great quote from C.S. Lewis about that. I just want to read it to you. So this is him, Lewis, speaking. He says, "I'm I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Very often they'll say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man, who was on, a man who was only a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic or else he'd be a liar. You must make your choice. Either he was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can call him a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Now it seems obvious to me that he was neither a lunatic nor a liar. And consequently, I accept the view that he was and is God. And that's really it. Like, certainly what he was saying, and when you consider the claims that Jesus made about himself, the fact that he, he spoke of his divinity. It's what turned the religious leadership against him. He talked about forgiving sins. He said that he had always existed. He said that he'd come back to, you know, judge the world. All sort of like I'm God kind of comments. So, like, he was either crazy, or he was evil, or those things are true. And I think, well, clearly, I suspect most of us, or maybe all of us tonight, I hope, say, yeah, we, th- we think the last one is true, that he was Lord. And then I think the, one of the questions becomes sort of like the implications of that. If he really is way more like, don't put him in the company of Martin Luther King, Gandhi, and um, Amelia Earhart. Like, he was not them. So then how do we react to that fact? How do we, re- how do we respond to the resurrection? And I think, you know what, the con- one of the concerns I-, I will throw out your way is I think that we, we, we kind of compromise it. We water him down. So we make him just a great moral teacher, a great moral example. I remember when I was in college, my senior year, I saw the movie, Platoon, it was the Oliver Stone movie about, his, it was his, based on his experiences in Vietnam and it's a brutal movie and I, I went to see it and I was so naive as a kid, I loved war movies. And this was, and in, in, you know, I lo- and most of them were old war movies from like the 40s and the 50s, maybe the 60s, When I was actual kid, there really weren't many movies about the war being made. Well, this came out, I was psyched. And I remember going to see it uh, up in upstate New York uh, with a couple of friends. And I just, I left like so kind of deflated because you know what I wanted? I wanted this kind of watered down image of what war is like, which is kind of what I always got from the movies. And then you got this movie and it was like, oh, wow, like this, this was awful. Like that was, the, it was radical. That was the reality, not this watered down movie from the 1940s. Remember the, remember the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan? Same thing. Man, you you watch that and you're like horrified at the thought of, and that, and, 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 uh, in some sort of, naive way as a kid I sort of I, I made that I glorified that like no this is the reality it's like I think we do that often with Jesus we water him down to make him kind of warm and fuzzy and comfortable like a like an old World War 2 movie and it never gets too harsh It never gets too graphic it never gets too uncomfortable saving private Ryan is uncomfortable Well, we should be uncomfortable about about what happened that day in 1944. And we should be equally be uncomfortable, I would suggest, about the reality of Jesus. And if he never, if, if, if him, Jesus, and his teachings never make us uncomfortable, have we somehow along the way watered things down? So he never, his way never really seems to rock the boat everything's okay you know I'll, I'll, sometimes i'll hear from i'll talk to a parents whose adult kid is, is getting married and they'll they'll say well he's he or she is marrying a person of, of uh, a non-christian and because of that they're uh you know married in a catering hall maybe and you know and you can tell they're not you know they wish it was a little different um they wish they were marrying at least a their their new son or daughter-in-law would was at least a christian if not catholic and um and then they'll sometimes say something like well at least at least they kind of have god in some broad sense you know and 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 in that moment it's never the it's never the place for me to be like well i don't think so and sort of critique them or challenge them but but it's like well i don't know like I don't know if we want to just water down who Jesus is. Um, I mean, I know we don't want to water him down because of who he is. Um, and I think as we do become increasingly secular, they become the challenges. We'll keep him in the mix, but just make him less radical. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe there's just got to be a, a never-ending conversation and dialogue between being radical and being merciful not be, you're not supposed to be one or other i think it's kind of both and you know two of the gifts of the holy spirit are uh courage and wisdom maybe to pray for both you know the the courage to be radical and the wisdom to know how to be radical
0: So before we have our Q&A session, I just want to reference the card. I know it's, it's pretty dark, so you might not be able to see it right now, but I really encourage you to take this home and, and take a look at it. Um, on the front side, it says there's five facts that historians don't uh, dispute. Um, I'm a history teacher, so we try to, in class, always look at just the historical evidence, right, that we can look at. And these are five historical facts that historians, they don't argue about. They say that this is the history behind Jesus, that he was a man who lived in Palestine, uh, that his message uh, to people, people saw him doing amazing miracles. We can't prove the miracles, but people said they saw the miracles. Number three, that he convinced people that were, the, that were closest to him, that he lived with, that were his best friends, that he was God, and that he was tortured and killed on a cross by the Roman Empire. Hundreds of people confessed and attested to seeing him rise from the dead, and that the people who said that, saw he, uh, that he rose from the dead gave their lives for him. Those are the undisputed facts that we can't deny from history. But I just want to look at the third one real quick before we do uh, some Q and A's. He convinced the people that were closest to him that he was God. Um, did anyone ever have like a, a sibling who like everyone thought was perfect, like as a kid, or a cousin who everyone thought was perfect, right? But you really knew who they were, right? Like you lived with them or you knew them the best, um, Usually, the people closest with you would not be saying you're God, right? But the closest people to Jesus, the people who are spending all of their time with Him, while they're with Him personally and small and small groups, He reveals even more so who He is, that He is God. And I think that's just an amazing point on some of those facts. Now, some fun stuff before we do some question and answers. Um, we've got some beach Catholic koozies some Beach Catholic koozies to keep our beverages cold. These are kind of cool, right? And, you know, my wife went to a bridal, sh- uh, a bridal shower over the weekend, and I was inspired about her raffle. So you might not see this, but on your card, there's a number on the bottom of the card that's cards that were handed out. I know, we tricked you. We, we slid that right in there. You didn't even notice. There's a, there's a number. You I don't know if you can see. You might have to turn your flashlight on. But we're going to give out some koozies for free. Uh, right now, and, and the priests are actually going to pick a number. There's a lot of you here tonight. It's great. We're going to pick a number, a few numbers. Each priest is going to pick two numbers between 1 and 150. And we'll see who wins some koozies. Uh, if this isn't exciting, I don't know, I don't know what is. So, uh, Father Brian, give me two numbers between 1 and 150. Uh, 29. 29. and 65, 29 and 65. If you are a winner, why don't you come right to the middle? Don't trip, all right? We'll come to you maybe, maybe the priest, uh, Father Hanson will maybe walk to you or Joe, we'll walk to you. Um, So 29 and 65. Now I know what it's like to be at a bridal shower. This is fantastic. Um, Father Hanson, can I get two numbers? Two numbers. Uh Uh, Let's do 99. 99. And three. And three. Ninety-nine and three, and we saved the best for last. Father Leo. Oh, she's here. oh she had to achieve it. Leo. thirty-three and one twenty. Oh, thirty-three and one twenty. It's like a concert. Everyone's, people people got their their flashlights on their phones. This is great. Also, at the end, guys, we're um, at the exit closest to the church. There is a table. Um, with some koozies on them to keep your beverages cold. If you'd like to grab one on your way out, um, we're not done yet. But just keep that in mind. If you didn't, if you didn't, weren't the lucky winner, uh, you could still you still have a chance to grab one. So we're gonna do some question and answers. Um, Those of you who have received an index card or would like to write a question, um, we're going to, Joe and myself and maybe one of the priests will kind of walk around. If you have a question on the card, please hand it to us and we're going to resume question and answers. If you didn't get to write something down, you could also grab one of us and say, here's my question. And then we're going to kind of go through those questions up here and the priest will take some questions before we wrap up for tonight. Um, So we'll resume in just about 60 seconds. Some people have some really good handwriting, some people have some really bad handwriting. <laughs> so the first question we're gonna start with um, came from my right side and the question was to the priest, if uh, faith is a gift, um, does everyone receive that gift or why doesn't everyone receive that gift? Um, so if one of the priests could start talking about that, I think that's a good question.
3: You know, uh, you know when, you, when you think of gift, Uh, like you know somebody has obviously lots of different kinds of gifts that people have you know you're musically inclined athletically inclined uh, you know artistic in lots of different ways Um, you know I think some people you know right like so they have kind of like a an instinct toward something Um, but I think and for those people you know throwing a baseball the athletically inclined person it comes easy well, the, the the musician can pick up a an instrument that they've almost never played and, and they're they're, they're kind of playing it um, but so can the person who who's who isn't like so clearly gifted in that realm if if they work it you know if they whether it's the athlete or the musician or, or whomever so I think part of it would be um, yeah I think faith does in my experience does seem to come easier to certain people than others um, I guess for lots of different reasons. Uh, but those and 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 like hey, well <laughs> be grateful for that. For those for whom it doesn't seem to come so easily, I think it's like, you know, it's like the kid who's not great at math, well he or she has to just work harder at it and then they get good at math. So it just I think faith has to be uh, nurtured and, and and fed. Um That would be my kind of take on it. Yes, to add to that, uh,
2: God desires all people to be saved, all people to have faith in him, but he also uh, gives us um, the gift of free will for us to choose. So there, on the part of the individual, there needs to be uh, an openness to the giver, uh, whether or not you're going to accept the gift or not, uh, and to varying, varying degrees.
1: I was uh, at a golf outing for uh, St. Agnes uh, School and a lot of the parents would know me but there'd be a lot of people that were visiting and didn't know and I don't really play golf or like golf but I remember I was the cigar guy so I was handing out cigars all day uh, to the players and there was one guy who I cut the cigar for him and then I said would you like me to light it and then uh, he made like a a joke about uh, God like he's like a he said something like, I haven't heard God speak it in a long time. Like somebody was like, and then uh, and I, as I was lighting his cigar, I said, well, when was the last time you talked to him? And uh, the people in his party started laughing. They're like, you know, that's a priest lighting your cigar. I wasn't dressed as a priest. <laughs> and uh, but I was like, when was the last time you talked to him? And, and so the gift of being made in his image and likeness is every single human being, but we have to, and I had a friend who was struggling with faith and I asked him just to say a prayer to Jesus, like Jesus, if you exist, please, you know, and I said, you, you just pray that once a day for an entire year. or Because like, uh, you got to work on the gift, as Father Brian was saying. Uh, but we are all made in image and likeness. And that's, I think, the gift in itself.
0: So uh, the next question was, why did Jesus have to die in such a tragic way? Um, I'm just going to take that one quick, and then I'll just give the priest a second uh, to look at some of the other questions in the cards. And something that I've read and that I've heard when why did he have to go through such a terrible, terrible death uh, for us, is whenever there's uh, a break in a relationship, like if you need to forgive someone, you always need to, someone needs to either seek mercy or someone's going to seek vengeance. There needs, there's going to be a, a radical change in the relationship when there's a break, right? And, and as humans, we've had a break since Adam and Eve. And there needed to be such a, a weight of mercy, a weight of suffering, to make up for that break that occurred. Um, so Jesus died in such a such a tragic way, in such so much suffering, to show us the length He would go, and also that He experienced not just the mo- like physical suffering, um, but when we're psychologists say that the the greatest pain we can endure as humans is when someone that we love uh, betrays us and on the cross jesus not just felt physical pain but he felt like he was experiencing betrayal from the father and the father and the son jesus and god had the most perfect relationship so the most perfect relationship went through the most suffering through that feeling of my god my god why have you forsaken me so Jesus goes through the most tragic physical and emotional and betrayal suffering that anyone could go through to prove to us the lengths he would go for us, that he would rather die a, such a tragic death and get nine-inch nails into his, his, his hands and his feet and die suffering on the cross. He would rather go through all of that than risk eternity without us. It is the truest example of love. Um, Am I missing anything about? Yeah, uh, just to add to that, uh, Mike,
2: uh, historically, right, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth, um, that's how the Romans executed criminals through, through crucifixion. And so, like, specifically, uh, because Jesus um, was there at that time, that's the, that's the, that's the death that he underwent for us, out of love for us.
0: So uh, the next question is, it seems like less and less young people are are believing and uh, coming to mass or feeling like it's necessary to have faith in this culture that we live in. That's kind of one of the reasons why we um, wanted to do a night like this and call it God's not dead. So uh, to the priests, this question is um, from the audience. What gives you hope about the future even though it seems like less and less young people are interested or, or want to enter into their faith, what gives you hope about the future? I
1: blessed to have at uh, my parish St. William the Abbot in Seaford a great school, and uh, being able to teach, you know, almost once once a day in the school teaching the kids and seeing their faith. Um, Seeing the faith witness, one of our teachers last year, she she would let her students sit with her when she would come to Sunday Mass and she'd have a whole pew full of little third graders and, and with her, or she'd have like the whole class sometimes. And and so seeing the inspiration of, of certain people living out the faith, uh, it, it's there. And trying to do my part in teaching the kids, there are, there are people and, and we're just trying to influence those who are in front of us.
3: You know, I think, too, uh, so you, you take, like you just said, James, the uh, kids, for for instance, and just, you know, when you're 45 minutes in a class or whatever it is, like, you know, you know, you can see in the, in, in the look in their eyes and their response and their enthusiasm, like, this is sinking in and this, like, this still works. This is not like an outdated, uh, it's not like a, an obsolete computer that you can't use anymore. Um, so I think there is there is there is always that hope because it's just true it's the it's timeless. Um, the flip side, though, and this is sort of the this is to me the uh, kind of the, the troubling or the sobering reality is how many of those of the uh, of the parents of those kids that you're teaching are really teaching their kids about faith, and in, and in most places it's not a lot. Like it's a it's sort of a frighteningly high percentage of I think parents that are just. They're not doing it, you know. They are the primary educators in faith, you know. James, you're secondary. I mean, we're, the three of us up here, we're not yeah. the first ones. It is mom and dad. Um, so there's the there's like I think that's where we're we're hem- we're hemorrhaging, and that's got to be where like how do we get to parents of young kids get to them and almost. Um, Teach them and help them to become teachers in the faith. Because somewhere between a generation or two or three, that's been that's been forgotten. Um, so I think that's part of the challenge of the church: getting to the parents, so that then their parents will get to their kids. Uh, besides the
2: obvious answer and response, the rightful one, right? Christ, the source of our hope. Uh, for me, it's been uh, the people, right? Lay people but also uh, my brother, my brother priests who are witnessing to, to Christ's love. Uh, when I see, you know, a young priest like Father James, uh, yeah, he's he's full of hope. He's full of energy and joy. He's more than full of hope. That's the only thing he's full of. <laughs> I see, you know, an old priest, Father Brian. Easy, and easy. And he's still, still what going strong, from? you know, still going strong. Like when you meet someone, you, you know if they're in love with someone. You know if they're in love with Jesus. And after all these years, it's it's imbi- inspiring to me. You know, the new kid on the block uh, to to see it. You know, it, it rubs off on on others. Uh,
0: another question was about um, referencing um, the women of the early church. The women of the early church. And um, you know, I I recently read the, if the Gospels were Were false. Um, If they were making it up, the gospel writers never would have said the first people to see the empty tomb were were women, because women didn't have any authority in in court at the time. Um, So the the gospel writers like that's a fact. The women saw that were, were the first to see the empty tomb, and that's kind of even more evidence to like that's that's truth. Because if it was false, they wouldn't have put women in that position because. They wouldn't have held as much authority as men um priest is there um comments you want to make on women in the in the early church um and women around jesus or um, or mary
1: yeah i mean mary uh, mary magdalene uh the the apostle to the apostles i think about the first easter sunday you know where was everybody else they're locked away and they're they're um they're scared and they're either sleeping in or doing who knows what. And, you know, Mary is the one who, she she wants to get to the tomb first thing in the morning. And even in going to the tomb first thing in the morning, she's she's starting to wonder on her way over there, how am I gonna roll back that that humongous stone? And I'm just really impressed by, uh, you know, wanting to, how badly she wanted to be at the tomb, uh, the first thing on, the, on that Sunday morning. And that love that she has for Christ being rewarded with being one of the first to really to see her and, and for her to be the one who brings the message of the resurrection. She's one definitely one of my favorite
2: saints. So Yeah, the apostle, they call it the apostle to the apostles. After having uh, encountered the resurrected Christ first, she goes and, and tells the others.
0: Great, and we're going to take two more questions as we, as we wrap up. We don't want to keep you too late. Um, the next question is, is technology, social media, uh, etc., is that keeping the next generation from a relationship to, to Jesus? So, basically, the role of technology in the lives of uh, young people and the, the, how that plays a role with uh, their relationship with Jesus. I mean, isn't the, the technology question is it's
3: almost the response? I think is always like, well, it's good and it's bad. You know, it can be used for good and it can be used for terrible. Um, you know, look at the la- look at look at life since March seventeenth uh, or whatever, whatever it was when everything was shut down. And you know, thank God for technology and the ability for us to have remained connected the way we we, we were. Um, so, on, on that end, like, what a, what a gift. Uh, I mean, I I I definitely see. Um, you know, uh, I think a. A, a critical need for a, a good relationship with God and for a good prayer life is um, quiet and silence and I think uh, young people because of technology and, and, and not just young people, all of us I think but because of technology we're, we're constantly you know, being stimulated, we're looking at something we're reading something, we're listening to something and uh, that I think can make our prayer muscles like atrophy, like our really weak. Um, so quiet and silence is good, and I think sometimes technology uh, can get in the way of that.
0: Great. And um, lastly, if each priest could give a 30-second, uh, this is saying elevator pitch, or something you could say in 30 seconds, or real quick to someone uh, about witnessing to the faith of, of Christ, or being able to explain a uh, how to enter into a personal encounter with jesus kind of quickly and uh that's you know, impossible for father brian <laughs> i wasn't gonna say it father hansen so three priests uh if each one could give a thir- maybe a 30 second quick 45 second pitch as to someone and they say why do you believe um why should i believe what can i do to enter more into my faith uh why what would you say why faith?
2: Yeah, because he's Lord. Everything we've been talking about, right? Because of the resurrection, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, He shows us the way to happiness and to enter into a personal relationship with him. Uh, He gave us the church. He gave us the sacraments. He gave us the Eucharist so we could stay connected to him, so we could experience his love and mercy in a personal way.
3: uh uh, john paul ii how long was he pope for 24 years or something like that right more or less about quarter of a century in his 25 years he uh, canonized more saints than all of the other popes prior added up um which is i always i always reread that to make sure i'm 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 hearing that right so he he declared more saints than all the popes before him and i think well, I know part of the reason his reason for that was he just the power of great example, and I, I, I think what what he so much believed in was you need to see faith in action. You need to hear stories of great faithful people, and that inspires us to follow. So, um, the power of the importance of community, um, and just in great witness, like hitch hit your wagon, you know, connect yourself to. A person, or people that you just respect, people of faith—you um, know, you know—not formally, but like make them your, you know, your your mentor. Um, and I think in the course of that, you know, it, that's a little community, and it, community grows. Um, so the power of good example, I think, is a big one. One piece of it.
1: Yeah, last night I went out to dinner with my cousin and my cousin's wife, and my cousin's wife looked at me and she said, "No phil- philosophical Jesus talk tonight," and because uh, I love that stuff. Uh, but I, you know, I think for me it's like a little kid in the back of the car just asking why, 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 and uh, you know, and to bring it back to asking the person, what is the meaning of your existence? And I've never heard a better example, a better answer than to know, to love, and to serve God in this world and to be perfectly happy with Him in the next. So just asking people, like, like, what is the meaning of your existence? Not what do you want to do with your life or what do you want to do when you get older. Or what, or What is the meaning of your existence? And uh, see what they say. Just listen.
0: Okay, great. So we didn't get to every single question, but uh, we will keep those because we, we plan on uh, doing this again. Uh, we're going to find a space inside to do it um, as time goes on. We'll end with a quick prayer. If, if Father... Uh, Father Uh, Hanson could just lead us with a closing prayer, and uh, have a good night, everyone.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever, Amen. amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.
0: Have a good night, everyone. Please be careful on your way out. It is dark. Watch your step.